Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Web3 Warriors, episode 88, featuring Stephen King and Brock Haugen, co-founders of The Indexing Company. Stephen and Brock, how are you doing today? <laughs> doing well. Thanks for having us. Good, good. Yeah, we appreciate it. Glad Thanks to be for joining. Thanks for joining, Stephen. Happy to have you. I was very interested when I was looking at your website for the Indexing Co. and kind of hearing your pitch about what you've been looking at and doing in the Web3 space. You know, here on the show, we've been looking at kind of the concept of data sovereignty in Web3 and the idea that, you know, we all know about the data practices in Web2 and kind of traditional internet. And needless to say, there's not much sovereignty, right? There's a lot of just everyone checks the box they need to check and gives up access to their devices and a lot of, uh, you know, advertising and big companies are using that data for very lucrative reasons, but we don't get to see where it goes. We usually don't get to benefit from a lot of the, you know, lucrative advertising dollars that come because of it. So we're hoping that, you know, with Web3 and with this new era, that we're going to see a lot more sovereignty and that people will have accountability, transparency, and really line of sight towards kind of how their data is being used. Uh, so with all that, I want to thank everyone, all of our listeners. Welcome to Web3 Warriors. I am David Karoma. I go by Chrome in the Meta your host. And as I mentioned, today we're looking at data management in Web3 and how can we really shift from the old ethos of data in Web2 and the way that a lot of these social media companies and other companies that are on our phone are using or maybe misusing our data and shift into kind of a new era of the internet, you know. And so on the show, we often look at the metaverse, we look at NFTs and the creator economy, but we also like to hear from developers and actual blockchain-based companies, projects that are being built out in solving real-world problems. Uh, so today we're really excited to have both Steven and Brock here from the indexing company to kind of share a little bit about how their business is kind of embarking into this new kind of Web3 frontier of data management and how it differs kind of from Web2. Uh, so with that, you know, maybe we'll dive into a little bit of... Uh, your background, Stephen and Brock, uh, before we dive into really the data question and how the indexing company is tackling that. Uh, so maybe we'll start with you, Brock, uh, if you could just share a little bit about, you know, what brought you to Web3, what brought you to the blockchain, and then uh, we'll jump over to Stephen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so myself, been a longtime engineer now, uh, over 10 years, found blockchain back in 2016. Um, I was actually just bored at my day job. I was like, what is this blockchain thing? Let me go dive in. Uh, ended up on a Ethereum job board where I met Steven. Um, so he was looking for, for help at his startup. That's where we met, um, kind of took off from there. Nice, nice. So how many years do you say you've been in the blockchain space? Uh, it's been seven now, yeah. Wow. So quite a few of uh, the the winters you've been through, you know. So yes, you probably yes. learned those hard <laughs> lessons, you know. <laughs> very, very familiar these days, yeah. Nice, nice. I'll jump to you, Stephen. What's your background? How long have you been in the Web three and blockchain space, and what brought you to it? Yeah, so I got in around 2013, and it was uh, initially just with uh, Bitcoin, and um, actually that community did me a real service because it was so toxic at the time that. It pushed me into Ethereum. I, I come across the white paper and uh, they were get, gearing up for their ICO. And so I took all of my BTC and put it in ETH and, uh, and then started learning about that and IPFS over the years. And I was uh, previously in real estate. And, um, you know, your, your introduction is actually interesting because you had mentioned people owning their data. And in the real estate industry, uh, Every company basically takes all of their data and then they give it either to an MLS or some kind of aggregator, but they lose complete control over that data. And then they get charged an arm and a leg just to access it. And so um, when I met Brock, Brock and I found a really unique way to basically take, you know, high Ethereum with IPFS and some other things like OrbitDB and to start to turn that on its head. So basically provide a way that these uh, anybody really with data could put could either uh, put it out into IPFS as a backup or as um, something that they want to share through uh, a front end, but maintain control throughout that process. And so we had some fun building that out with companies like Toll Brothers. Uh, we even created a financial product around multifamily escrow uh, using smart contracts. So basically taking tenant deposits, processing them through a smart contract and then um, Sterling Equities, the real estate outfit we were working with, they would basically uh, reinvest or earn a return or something like that. 
Um, so that got kind of tied up with regulation. And then uh, Brock and I uh, synced back up uh, late last year and created the indexing company. And that's what we're here to talk about. So we're excited. Wow. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Um, on that escrow piece, and you say, you know, tied up in regulation, I can imagine how, how that goes. But it's a really cool kind of, um, was that all on chain? So like even the investments were done kind of like using DeFi and, you know, to, to grow it? Yeah, so yeah. Signature Bank had something called Signet, and it, and they had um, they had their own token, but it was basically just they just forked uh, Ethereum um, and used the EVM basically uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, it was a closed. Unfortunately, it wasn't just you know wasn't on any of the live like the alive Ethereum blockchain. But actually, it was it was good for us though because we got some insights into how how banks are thinking about this technology and, um, and that they're actually using it and they're working towards eventually being able to settle on some of these public ecosystems, but we need to get some of the, the ZK stuff, I guess, figured out first. No doubt. Eh? That, um, yeah, ZK roll up and being able to, uh, or zero knowledge proof, being able to actually have privacy of some level while still using the, the public blockchain. Well, that's, that's really fascinating though. Very cool background. Uh, so with that, maybe, uh, Steven, sticking with you, what is the mission and vision of the indexing company and how did it kind of grow out of uh, your collaboration there? Yeah, so Brock, he after uh, Inverex, Brock went and and I'll let him talk about this because he can do it much more eloquently, but he went and uh, did a stint at Coinbase and and he came back to me and he said, hey, Stephen, uh, the data problem is just, is even worse on the corporate side of, uh, of Web3. And uh, he had some some pretty interesting insights on how we could uh, do indexing way better than than the existing solutions, um, and so we had basically uh, I think that was in summer of what Brock was at twenty twenty two, yeah, last year, yeah. yeah, and then so we just uh, yeah we started building it out, and then January we launched, and um, and it, it really is as simple as hey. If you're building a product in Web3, it should be easy to access and process data. And you know, today, if you want to access it, I mean, if you come from Web2 and you're building a product, you're looking at employing multiple third-party APIs, and then you have to build all this custom logic on top. So it's really messy. Hmm. And that's the standard. That's what everybody does. And so um, you know, we took Brock's insights, which were very smart, and, and built out this product that's end-to-end so that people don't have to think about it. So Brock, I'm going to I'm going to give it to you because you, you do a wonderful job at summarizing this. Well, let's hear it, bro. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, my butchered version or, or oversimplified is uh, we're trying to solve data accessibility. But yeah, Stephen and I were coming back to the market last summer, wanting to build something, realized in order to build something, we'd still have to rebuild all the infrastructure in-house. Hmm. Um, and I was just kind of table states to even get to the product that we might want to build. Um, so that's where like, okay, we got to do this kind of as a, as a dedicated company, as a service, if you will. Uh, and so that's where, yeah, me not being the creative one came up with the indexing company. We do indexing as a service. Hey, and <laughs> if no one else took it, you know, yeah. you can be the indexing company. You're exactly. making a wave. Yeah. So, yeah. Brand new opportunity, I think. Um, so let's, how is it solving the problem? How is it creating that kind of streamlining and cutting out some of that, you know, extra kind of time and uh, requirements on kind of the above layer? How is it cutting up that and making things more streamlined? Yeah. So there's a lot of issues here. Um, but if, if we go all the way up to the top, blockchain data is already decentralized. It's already out there. It's already public. It's just really difficult and expensive to get at. Um, And so there's a lot of companies out there like the alchemies of the world that are indexing that data. They put it in some sort of centralized database and they resell API access. So really what they're doing is they're selling data. They're data companies. Um, We were kind of looking at this market and realized, okay, if you're using somebody else's API, A, that's going to get expensive fast. Mm. B, that's not going to fit your product. There is no configuration there. It's just you get what you get, and it's up to you to bridge that gap between the API and your product. Right. Um, so like so it's we, not, we, not bespoke, essentially. Like it's not exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it just felt backwards. Like if you look for any engineers familiar, like if you look at something like AWS, AWS doesn't tell you that you have to build with this particular server. Like you can mix and match pieces and you can configure it, right? Um, to, to fit your needs. And so we, we thought that data should be that way as well. Uh, and so, yeah, what we've built out now is a, a fully configurable data pipeline where we 
have no centralized database. It's fully distributed systems right now, decentralized later. Um, and it lets customers come in and configure top to bottom the, the data they want on chain, off chain, private data sets, uh, the, the work being done on that data. So the transformations could be aggregation pipelines, custom code, whatever it is. And then ultimately where this data gets delivered. So usually it ends up in, in their own database based on their own schemas. Wow. So it, it does that end-to-end -end pipeline without them having to reinvent the wheel on any of the infrastructure in between. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so how does that fit into like the security side of things and the what kind of AML, KYC? You know, that's where I think this, the data becomes the most sensitive, right? And I think we've seen uh, entities like Chainalysis, for example, and those that like are heavily in that kind of AML space trying to analyze data specifically for security reasons. Where do you fall into that? Um, and is that kind of part of what you guys do or is it not as much directly dealing with kind of AML and actual security um, issues on chain. Cause I know that's a huge regulatory yeah. concern, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where we come to the market, uh, sort of an agnostic provider. So we can help those firms as well. absolutely. Um, at Coinbase, I worked on a lot of like internal auditing tools, for instance, mm -hmm. um, and kind of the, the key unlock here is all this data is starting out public to begin with. It's on chain already. Right. So these same pipelines work for those cases. Uh, and it's really just about helping and empowering companies to then leverage that data in the way that makes sense for them. Cool. Cool. Well, that's, that's fascinating. And I can see the, the problem you're solving for sure. So taking a step back, you know, how do you view this? And maybe we'll go back to Steven and then we'll jump over to Brock. But how do you view the conversation around data? And do you think that kind of this evolution into Web3 data management, like you were just saying, uh, Brock, as far as the data being public already, you know, how do you see kind of the blockchain playing a huge role in the way that we view our data going forward? Or do you think that, you know, blockchain can be kind of that savior to offer, you know, actual data uh, sovereignty, essentially, you know, how do you see this kind of evolution taking place? I hope so. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, the, I'm glad that the conversation's taking place because it, uh, for the longest time, data was kind of an afterthought. And, uh, and so in, in everybody kind of knew in the back of their head, Hey, at some point we're going to have to deal with this. Um, because yeah, all the data is out there and you would think that, you know, Hey, it's, it's open source, right? We could just go and grab it, but it's, it's really not that easy. And it introduces a whole bunch of other challenges that, that at least I didn't think about. Um, but it does enable, uh, things like control. So the ability to, uh, back to the, the real estate example, you know, basically put out a, a real estate listing for sale and, and, um, almost like just kind of like turning on a light switch, you know, um, in a, in a dark building, it's just, uh, just have a UI. If you, I want to go over here to this UI because it's got eyeballs on it. I can basically have that listing showcase there and I but I can maintain, maintain control of the actual, um, data itself and not basically give it, you know, give ownership of it to that platform. Um, so I think, I think, I think it's there. Um, but we gotta, we gotta clean up, um, I think for Web3 in general to scale, um, it's got to be easier to do things. It's got to be easier and cheaper to build. So, you, you know, on average right now, if you want to build an application and scale it, you get product market fit, you're going to spend at least two or $300,000 just building out these, these, these pipelines just to get access to your own data and clean it up, right. which is, which is crazy, crazy. And then you have things like AI, you know, entering the space and AI, this is great, right? Open data. They, they do things like federated learning where, they're able to just take advantage of, of, of new data sources and things like that. But, but they can't, they can't do that until we lower the barrier to entry on, uh, on some of these infrastructure components. So, um, but that's what, that's what we're doing. And that's what, uh, other people are doing on the UI UX side, yeah. which will be, which I think will help. And we're seeing that on the corporate side. I don't know if you're seeing this, but we're actually seeing companies now, not like 2017, 2018, just getting a PR article, um, and kind of saying, okay, cool. You know, they're actually like building tools, which is cool to see. Yeah. hundred percent. What about you? Th what are your thoughts, Brock, as far as the evolution, you think it's just going to be like a user experience, kind of like general society basically has to catch up and we're just not quite there yet. <laughs> or do you think that there are, you know, some, I don't know. I guess my worry is that certain powers that be are obviously getting a lot of money out of kind of the status quo of the data usage. Right. And so, you know, 
you almost have to upset the apple cart in order to actually allow for this new kind of web three era of data data ownership or data sovereignty people actually seeing how their data is being used and maybe being able to say no i don't want my data being used that way uh you know so i I just wonder how the evolution is doing. And it sounds like you guys are right on the forefront of it. So maybe you're seeing both on the corporate side and on maybe the more social society wide level, um, how things are evolving. Any thoughts on that, Brock? Yeah, so many, um, <laughs> but I, I guess kind of two big ones, uh, a slightly controversial opinion is I, I think that uh, one of the ways to mass adoption is is actually getting and proving to these cor- existing corporations why putting data out in a decentralized medium is a net positive for them, net positive for their bottom line, net positive for their infrastructure. Um, for me, I kind of see it as the evolution of, all right, we used to host servers in our own offices, then we went to cloud computing, now we go to decentralized computing. It's kind of an evolution in, in my head. Yeah. Um, but conversely, like like giving power and control back to kind of the everyman, I think one of the concepts that we've been toying with internally is this idea of uh, composable indexes. So letting companies, individuals, whoever it might be, go index, process data, clean it, put that index data back out in a decentralized medium, mm. and then creating a kind of a royalty marketplace on top of that. So you, you now incentivize the whole network to process data, use data, consume data, um, and you can kind of trace it all the way around. Yeah, no doubt. And how do you feel about like kind of the way, um, like I know there's the Brave browser, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with them, right? Yeah. And they are kind of like you said, um, incentivizing sharing your data for the sake of advertisements and even incentivizing clicking on advertisements where they pay you out in their brave coin or whatever the case might be. Um, do you see a future for that kind of like more clear? And it ultimately comes down to people having to take the initiative to choose the yes. platforms that use your data that way. Right. So I think a big part of it is just social evolution and hopefully people care more and are more concerned about the way that their data is being used. But do you think something like a brave browser, the way they've kind of gone about trying to still have ad revenue, but making it more uh, opt in and then you also get rewarded from it. Is that kind of the way that you see data usage kind of evolving? I think so. Yeah, I think it, it, it's trying to really break it all down to per unit costs. So even if we look at, say, the music industry trying to be on chain, we keep trying to solve royalties. Mm. Um, and one of the, the recurring themes there is, okay, well, can we like charge micropayments based off of, say, every second that you listen to a song, right? And so yeah. if you can start to break that down enough, uh, and all the incentives make sense, it's kind of a win-win for everybody involved. Yeah, for sure. And we do see a lot of these new kind of on-chain streaming options that are, are coming yeah. out with different uh, ways to use your data. Any thoughts on that, yeah. Stephen? I was just going to say, David, it's uh, uh, like podcasting too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, soon enough, right? The advertisers are just going to say, here's a hundred grand for six ads. And basically they'll just you'll get as much money as many re, uh, listeners listen to the full ad being able to track that and just have a smart contract basically pay you out of that. I mean, 100%. it seems like that's inevitable. Yeah, that's the future. And that's where it is good for business. Ultimately, you know, I think there's ethical things that are also a good outcome of that. But ultimately, it is also good for business. And I think as that evolves, it's going to be really exciting. Um, and so how do you feel about kind of the the way data can be used kind of Again, going back to the way it has been, kind of a more pillaging, kind of like just taking, 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 um, and then actually having ownership, you know, of your own data. Is that something that indexing company is basically like pitching? Is that something you talk about when you kind of reach out to potential clients and merchants? Like, is it kind of that ethical evolution or, you know, that evolution from taking data to actually giving data and having ownership of your data? Is that an ongoing kind of conversation that you, you're often coming up against or? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, at least in our, I guess, kind of sales pitches, the, the way it generally comes up is companies want to own their data because they, they see it as part of their unique proprietary edge, if you will. It's part of their product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's something that we're enabling and selling in the sense that this data was out there in the public. We're now letting customers control the entire pipeline and the data ends up in their database as their data. So they get that in, in control in that regard. Nice. Um, yeah. And does that filter down to their clients as well? Yeah. And so then it's what we haven't figured out is how to get past that. But mm-hmm. theoretically, yes, this gives them then the model to, to continue 
fulfilling that further. Um, but this is where, yeah, we, we kind of think all the way back to those composable indexes where all right, maybe we work with the block explorer, they go index raw on-chain data. Some individual comes along and wants to use that. They can pay the block explorer some small royalty to, to use that further. Yeah, no, that's that's exciting. I can see that coming for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you think that there's certain blockchains kind of doing this better than other blockchains? Um, and are you partial to, I obviously mentioned Ethereum yeah. and the EVM and really, you know, the programmability there. But then on the scalability side, maybe, you know, they don't have the scalability you might need for something like this. Um, maybe I'll start with Steven and then we can jump to Brock. You, you, do you have uh, thoughts on different blockchains handling data better than others? Uh, um, are you partial to anyone? I know you mentioned you spoke highly of Ethereum already. <laughs> yeah, just because Ethereum is where, where we got our start, so it's near and dear to our hearts. But actually, uh, Brock, Brock, I'm keen to hear your, your, what you say on this, but uh, we've been following our customers. So uh, so we haven't we, we support right now over 30 chains, and, and it's really like our customer, one of our earlier ones, got us into Tezos. And that was actually, uh, it was it's kind of cool because for me, I didn't know a lot about Tezos and I thought Tezos was dead, but um, they're Tezos. working on, <laughs> yeah, they're working on some interesting things. Like the, the whole, they're working with the state of California to put all driver's licenses on the Tezos chain, which just blew me away. Um, so for me, it's been, it's been, it's been helpful from uh, just an educational point of view, but from an infrastructure and building point of view, uh, I'm not the guy to ask that question to. Brock is definitely the guy. So <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll hand that off to you, Brock. What are your thoughts, Brock, as far as blockchain infrastructure and data usage? Yeah, I was, I was trying to offer one of the one of the first things that I try to do personally is reframe it from crypto to Web3, like separating those out. So, so yeah, thinking about it as Web3, how do we just like deal with decentralized data? Because uh, then it also gives you a lens to it's not just blockchains that are involved, but other protocols as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so Stephen and I, we've been longtime supporters of IPFS really like the content addressable data, but it doesn't solve the data storage piece. So that's that's still something there. They have Filecoin, mm-hmm. it hasn't quite caught on. Yeah, something. Mm-hmm. Um, Rweave seems to be doing this best as far as the data storage itself. Um, there's a lot of potential there, I think. Does mm-hmm. Rweave have pretty extreme limitations though, as far as how much you can put on there? Or No, they're doing? one of the, like, I forget the numbers now, but I think they have petabytes out there. Wow. They they do a really good job at data storage. So now if you can kind of start to bridge some of these concepts together, especially if you start dealing with a decentralized consensus medium, something like a blockchain, like an Ethereum or an L2, um, I think as you put all those technologies together, you end up with something really powerful. I don't know if that directly answers it, but that's that's kind of where I've been sitting is it's no one winner. It's kind of a, a holistic thing. Yeah, no, it's cool to hear about other projects Tezos is working on because I just see a very vibrant, cool art community and yes, I have same. a lot of art <laughs> NFTs on Tezos, but I have no idea what else they do on Tezos. <laughs> and if that was all they did forevermore, I would be happy with it. <laughs> yeah, they, no, you're, good, you're, you're, you're a good. Yeah, you're in good company with Tezos. It's actually a project that things are happening. Cool. That's awesome. That's very good to know. So my NFTs won't be u- useless or worthless at some point <laughs> in the future. They're Can't building up. That. They've got yeah. a lot of opportunities. And I think um, Solana works with Arweave Direct, don't they? Uh, have you have yeah, you been dabbling with Solana there. at all? They've been making a lot of pretty big partnerships in the last few months. Oh yeah, yeah. We yeah. So we also do Solana indexing and Arweave indexing. So they're both nice. both chains pulling both in. Um, yeah, a lot of cool, interesting concepts there. Nice. And how do you f- view that Solana versus uh, Ethereum? Maybe I think they seem to be pretty, pretty high in com- competitors. Um, there's the speed on the Solana side, and then there's the it, real decentralization on the yes. Ethereum side. That's the way I kind of look at it. And I'm a, I'm a fan of both, so it doesn't have to be either or. But do you have any thoughts around kind of the evolution of Solana and how you see it coming up? You know, I don't think it's going to be an ETH killer, but I do think it's a it's an interesting kind of uh, yeah, contrast there. I'll be curious to get Steven's thoughts, but yeah, I, I share your sentiment far more. Um, uh, I want to get to a point where I can run an EVM node on my phone. Like I want this fully decentralized and I want access to that data in the decentralized medium. And I, I think Solana, in order to get reduced latency, has kind of gone the opposite direction. Just different use cases. Yeah. 
They yeah. are very centralized I on think, the notes. I, I, yeah, Stephen. I, I, I love Solana. I really do. I think <laughs> it's. Uh, I don't think it's going to kill Ethereum. I think it's got a very different use case, and I think Solana will cater to the trading community, like Wall Street, um, investment banking. I, I really do. I think it's set up perfectly for that, and I. It, and we're actually seeing a lot of um, companies in that domain enter on this, like playing around with Solana very seriously, actually. <laughs> and there's a couple of really good projects that started out on Solana, like Pith. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it, it's, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I think Solana is a, uh, is a good bet. I think they have great tech. I think it is different than Ethereum and that's why it does have a different use case. It's not, it's not as decentralized. You're absolutely correct. But I do, I do think it has good technology and I do think that the, it'll be one of the ones that sticks around. No doubt. Cool. That's very good perspectives there. Um, and looking at like the core infrastructure, I know you're on EVM. Is is there a specific chain? Because you mentioned you're supporting over 30. Uh, is there a specific blockchain that you're reliant on for kind of your core infrastructure uh, if you're able to share? Or is it like you very much just kind of cater to each different blockchain has its own solution kind of thing? Uh, more so we've got a, a truly generalized solution that works for any chain. Um, so internally we, we call these heartbeats and we have pacemakers per chain. Um, so these are just like little penny adapters that let us go out and pull all of the block data as blocks come in in real time. Um, oh. And so something we do internally then from there is it works for say a Bitcoin or a Solana or an EVM chain, all the same. Uh, and then we put that back out into a, a currently distributed file storage internally and that's what we index off of so it's kind of a, a cache if you will wow that's pretty epic um and how how do you see uh bitcoin ecosystem kind of needing this it would be mostly from like a financial transaction tracking perspective as opposed to you know a lot of these other <laughs> blockchains are much more programmable and have a whole lot of like ecosystem activity whereas blockchain it's like did transi- transaction X get to, you know, person B, you know? Um, yeah. Is that pretty much it? Or how does Bitcoin use your service? Yeah. Bitcoin is a, it's a interesting use case in that the, the, the community seems staunchly opposed to non-transaction data. Um, so yeah. obviously ordinals there's that angle. Damned, right? <laughs> right. But I was going to say ordinals and the whole admin of those has, has introduced some interesting capabilities. So we're able to in, index those ordinals for a few companies and kind of like merge those as, as data streams with NFTs and, and other, other projects and those things. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. That whole ordinals conversation, I think is a, a very interesting one because the diehards of the kind of traditional Bitcoin space have very good reason, I think, to be upset with those ordinals guys. <laughs> and they're just going degen with it and yep. kind of doing whatever the hell they want to do on the blockchain. And, you know, our transaction fees are higher than ever before. And it's kind of crazy. Um, do you have thoughts on ordinals at all? Either of you? It's really hard to index. <laughs> I, uh, I, I tried to, I try as a non-engineer, I tried to index it and it, it was, the, the the standards in Bitcoin are so different than every other chain. It was crazy. But anyway, go ahead, Brock. I think I cut you off. Sorry. Oh, no, you're totally dead. I, I was just going to say ordinals are, uh, uh, in my opinion, they're a fun hack. Like, uh, I, fun it's hack. obviously you're, you're not what for Bitcoin was meant for. But yeah. yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. No doubt. That's exciting. Um, So we do want to always try to give a little bit of value to our listeners on the sense of, you know, how can they do things differently? And I think that um, when looking at data and looking at security in Web3 is very important, right? Like not your keys, not your crypto kind of thing, but also don't click the links. Don't listen to random FOMO, random airdrops and all this kind of stuff. Um, Do you have thoughts from your kind of professional perspective? You know, how does the average person out there just make sure that they're handling their data appropriately in web three uh start with you brock then go steven yeah um (laughs) don't don't take anything at face value that's kind of a a, a rough recommendation but even like you know say like the ether scans of the world they're trusted um or other api providers but it's just humans behind the scenes doing their best to index all this data um and so there will be bugs uh, so if you really yeah. you really want root truth, you got to go straight to the chain. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, do your own research on that. Yes, trust exactly. random people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Any other thoughts, Stephen? Yeah. So just in terms of uh, on-chain sensitive on-chain data, we haven't had that much uh, 
I guess we have, but, but we haven't like started to put like social security numbers on chain or, or things like that. So it'll be interesting when we store medical records, right? Like, so that's why I, I guess a lot of the ZK stuff would tie into those conversations, but, um, so, so right now, I don't think that like data, you have to be too worried about anything sensitive leaking unless I'm not thinking of something. Um, and, but, but basically, um, the way that I think about on-chain data is uh, it's it, it kind of like uh, you just have to be comfortable with what you put on there right now. It's, it's sort of like the early days of, of using a credit card, right? Like I'm not spending money online. That's crazy. You know, it's, it was just a very foreign thing until it was natural. That's how Web3 feels right now. It feels like everything is and, – and Web3 is different in that there's a hack every other week. And so people – in fact, I think you have to lose money to, to properly be onboarded into Web3 you know, without which (laughs) you're not allowed in. But, um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how things evolve in this next cycle, because I think we will start to see more sensitive data sets, make it on chain. And that's where a lot of the CK stuff, I guess we're going to find out how well it works. And I haven't played around with it that much, so I can't talk to it. Maybe you can Brock, but, um, that's kind of what I'm keeping my eye on and paying attention to. Yeah. And the promise of the ZK is essentially, you know, actual privacy while keeping the most important data public, right? You want to speak to that a little bit, uh, Brock? What is the promise of ZK and how are we going to be seeing it roll out? And it's not quite yeah. active out there yet, is it? Uh, yeah, there, there's rumblings. Um, yeah, if, if you look at like what a ZK proof is, zero knowledge proof, it's it's really uh, something that you can verify happened. Um, so if you look at it from that lens with data, um, it gives you w- more robust ways to say data, have data off chain, medical records, but still have proof of them on chain. Mm. Um, so like one of the more interesting use cases we've, we've heard, uh, would be like a KYC Oracle, if you will. So something on chain that can prove, Hey, this address is a human and we can verify it with the ZK proof, but you don't actually need any of their identity on chain. Okay. I think there's, yeah, some really cool applications that could come out there. Because it's pointing to another server where they do have that access, but it's covered, but they can at least confirm that it exists essentially, right? Exactly. So zero knowledge proof. Yeah, for yep. sure. Awesome. Good good lesson there. Um, I'm looking at woven.xyz. So this was one of, uh, I believe, your your clients, right? Uh, is this on yeah. the Tezos chain? <laughs> they are. Yeah, yeah they, those guys are awesome. You guys should check them out if you haven't already. Uh, yeah, they're... they're uh, crude elevator pitch for my end is they're, they're building a Shopify for NFT creators or on-chain artists. Um, so they've got really cool payment tools uh, and then yeah, index it across five different chains, including Tezos uh, to pull in all that artwork. Wow. Fascinating. So how, how do you, how do you guys factor in like where, where do they need the indexing company to make this run smoothly? Yeah. So we go get that data for them. Um, so they, they built, they're really great at the user experience, the products, the, the whole shopping experience. Um, they focus on that. They've got the database and we help them get all this data from all these chains into that database. Um, and then they have all this proprietary logic around uh, being able to say, this is the artist that created this artwork and kind of pulling in, say, off-chain bios that belong to those artists. Um, and so we help them put all that together and, and stream it into something usable for them. Wow. And so is that kind of the the crux of the service you offer often is like actually for platforms that are looking to use data from several different blockchains and kind of aggregate it, I guess, and use it for their own projects or their own platform? Uh, is that kind of the one of your core services? It's a big part of it. Yeah. Especially, or I should say it's one of the biggest underserved needs. Um, so looking at say just NFTs on Tezos and Ethereum, they're entirely different. There is no unified API for those two. So trying to merge those two data streams is as far as I know, there's not another service out there doing it. No doubt. Um, Steven, any thoughts on that on the, on woven specifically, and then the, the kind of pitch. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything Brock said. Those guys are awesome too. Uh, yeah, I think you, you nailed it. Um, I am curious though, David, like as a content creator, how do you think about David? I mean, data, how do you think about you're putting it out there, you know, you're using river or whatever you're using, you know, to, to create the tooling and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to see things go? Well, I mean, as far as the the user experience, making it a little bit easier to integrate 
you know, blockchain um, basically activity that we have going on. You know, like we have a lot going on on both Ethereum and Solana. So we're always and Tezos, actually. So we're collecting NFTs as kind of a gallery to support artists. Uh, the main crux of the show is really to promote the creator economy on Web3 and in the blockchain, uh, but also, you know, the builders and the creators kind of pushing things forward. So personally, I, I agree that user experience could be easier, but it also just comes down to bandwidth, I think. And, you know, like a one click, you know, here's everything I'm doing on the blockchain in one you know one space would be kind of cool but it does maybe run counter to the decentralized narrative right <laughs> and i feel like that's always the balancing act you know it's like it would be awesome to be able to get everything you know nicely streamlined for myself in one you know one spot but on the flip side you know maybe i should have to just go over to that blockchain and get that information and send it out um, and i also think that the metaverse is doing a good job of trying to pull that all together so like we have plot in the voxels metaverse for example and there i can have like this is my tezos gallery this is my ethereum gallery and it's my Solana gallery, you know, and we can kind of share it all the art there in one place. So, you know, I think that there's definitely a place to uh, have data be more easily like synced together and being able to show everything that an individual or a person is doing on chain very simply would be good. But on the flip side, you know, I think a little bit of exploration and needing to know where to look <laughs> is also a good thing. So I don't know. I don't have a clear answer for you there, but <laughs> I think that the, the more simple, the better. But you know, I'm a fan of decentralization more so than centralization. So wherever that lands. Yeah. Us. <laughs> I, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see where podcasts go. Like writing makes a lot of sense that if you put out a content piece and then, you know, somebody at Forbes, they want to reference it or something, there, there's royalties to be had there. It's, it's a clear path. Yeah. And on that I, sense, I think I, yeah, that's a good point as far as like micro content. And if I put out like pieces of the podcast and wanting to know like who's actually seeing it, you know, am I monetizing this properly? And am I getting, you know, some kind of value back for it? Yeah, that would be amazing to be able to see that for sure. Yeah, if you can get that data and you can know exactly who's listening to it, well, I mean, I, it'll be interesting, at least even the metadata. If you, I guess you can kind of see that now, but with, with podcast, because it's audio, I guess it'll, I'm, kind of interested to see how it comes together. I'm paying attention to music and things like sound X, Y, Z and how they're doing it. And then mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how podcasting is going to fit into that whole mold, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. And even sound.xyz, have they dabbled in podcasting at all yet? I'm sure they would let you probably upload a podcast on there, but I don't know that it would be the best, uh, you know, best platform for that but it's an interesting platform as far as music goes and trying to monetize it and make it a little bit more equitable than say a spotify or anything like that totally totally so yeah. anyway just thought I, I thought i'd get your input i think that's interesting so thanks most definitely and i think it's um yeah it's a good question to see how can we make sure content creators online are essentially getting their worth and getting value back for stuff that goes out there and i, I have seen you know people clip random clips of my podcast and put it out there and I didn't even know they did it. And it's just like, in the end, you know, it kind of sucks, but at the same time it's promotion. So we'll take it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's always a thing. So do you think like, how far out are we from on-chain data being more prevalent? You know, I think that we can all agree that on-chain data is a good solution for the current kind of status quo of data, which is people don't have any idea how it's being used. They just know that they allow, you know, any app on their phone to use it. Um, how how far away are we from that on-chain data being more accessible and people actually, you know, having more of an understanding of how their data is being used? And then I have a follow-up question, too. Maybe we'll start with you, Brock, and then go to Steven. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, first, first piece, I, I think more data is moving on-chain than people realize. Um, so even if you look at some, like, social applications these days, I, I think it's turned out the forefront of a lot of it. Um, got the forecasters of the world kind of putting it out there it's it's on chain there's also an off-chain element um but i think we'll start to see more and more of that especially in that that hybrid lens if you will um uh yeah i, I think the data itself in bulk may not exist on chain but but kind of rolling up those proofs or those pointers on chain choose something off chain makes a lot of sense and i think we'll see more and more of that uh yeah, Do you think it makes sense for some of these social media companies, like let's say a Twitter or X now, um, or even you know Instagram, to start using on-chain data um, and then kind of using it almost like as a ethical pitch, right? Like our data is on-chain; it's all yours. You own it, you know. And like actually just turning the page on kind of the the antiquated kind of 
traditional way that data is being used right now. Again, acknowledging that the way it's being yeah. used now is super lucrative for people. <laughs> so who's going to take that first step right. to actually turn the page on it? But I do feel from like a PR standpoint, like kind of like what Apple did, frankly, and we know they're not perfect on data either, but they said, oh, no, you have the option to opt out of all these random apps yes. that are, you know, forcing you to basically like pillage your data. So now you have that option and Facebook got <laughs> mad at them and tried to sue them, I think. So, you know, it's kind of an interesting little bit of a corporate spat there. But I think the next step is for people to actually like be demanding that their data is on chain and that they have actual ownership of it. So do you, what do you think it's going to take for us to get there? That's what I was like, I don't, I think the, the, the two avenues that I see are, yeah, you, you have somebody like the forecasters, like the lenses of the world, uh, reaching some sort of critical mass that they're able to like truly compete. Um, I think we're a ways out from there from like having the every man using these platforms. Uh, conversely, I think kind of going into say a Twitter, it, you got to give them the, the incentive model. So it's not like they don't necessarily care about data sovereignty because they're making money off of not having it sovereign. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but if you could incentivize them in some way to, to earn on royalties or give access to this, like maybe it's an alternative to having to serve an API. They just have the data out there and it's royalty based. That could start to make sense for them. I, I think you'd see adoption that way. Sure. Any thoughts on that, Steven? Yeah. I was going to say, people say they want it on their data, but at least when we went for three years and pitched all these companies to own their data, they that was not they said it but they didn't actually mean it so they needed they needed some other reason but where where we are seeing some interesting things play out like we're talking to an options exchange and um like they are interested in ipfs for the sole purpose of they can't go down they and they their backup the backing up their data systems is really really important and so they take redundancy uh seriously and so this is a, a way that oh man if everything goes down in these two data centers we're not actually screwed we've got a backup in ipfs that we nice. can access so i think that that's one good onboarding mechanism yeah redundancies and kind of backups actual safe backups yeah and, and and to brock's point earlier on the podcast I, I think we're moving towards a world where it's like okay everything's in the cloud now but the problem with the cloud is that you can't move it around in the cloud you can't go from google to microsoft with all your data it's not compatible and actually we're talking to web two companies that are having those issues so just applying our infrastructure because their own internal organization like their systems aren't interoperable they can't communicate so um wow. so yeah, I do think I do think that that is uh, it, it makes sense that eventually everything's already up there. Well, if I just have my key now, Google can talk to Microsoft. I can move it around basically. So that seems like a natural evolution and sort of where we're going. Um, the path on how we get there is kind of messy, but hmm. it feels like we're going that way. For sure. And would you say that the indexing company, that's kind of your broader mission? It's not just about necessarily like the on-chain and everything. It's really just kind of changing the conversation around data usage and data indexing. And, you know, what is the percentage of on-chain versus traditional kind of clients, if you can share that? Brock, you should share that and then I'll let you share the moonshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd say just from uh being a small company go to market strategy most of our customers are on chain uh, or have at least have an on-chain component and i think that's kind of part of it too is everyone we're working with now is doing something on chain and off chain so they're merging nice. those worlds already um and so yeah for us we don't want to uh, pigeonhole anybody like it shouldn't in our opinions it shouldn't be solely on chain or solely off chain like there, there's this hybrid approach um, and so, yeah, to, to your point, our, our really, our bigger mission here is just getting that data accessibility, that data usability, um, the data is out there. You should be able to use it where it's at. Don't go through centralized providers, like figure, figure it out, um, in a way that, that, yeah, you can get what you want out of it, uh, without having to trust a Twitter, for instance. Right. And the centralized providers have that flaw, right? What you're talking about with the redundancies and being able to actually protect against that, um, kind of makes perfect sense. For sure. Yeah. Um, very exciting. Um, yeah, I was thinking, uh, I'm looking at a couple of your other um, clients that you shared with me, and I was wondering this Bello uh, beta that looks like it's just kind of intelligence of on-chain data. Um, can you share a little bit about that um, client? I'm just curious about it. It looks a little bit gamer. Look like it might be in the Web3 gaming space. <laughs> Bello.lol. 
Yeah, no, they're great. They do uh, NFT analytic information. So a lot of, a lot of data-driven insights uh, around NFT projects, their uh, creators, the community, um, and help other NFT creators then understand, okay, if I, if I want to launch a new project, who are my active uh, owners? What would like work best for them? Even down to, okay, like what day of the week should I do this drop on? So that Bella is getting really, really smart about all these insights. Um, that's have some very cool tooling around it. So like an NFT drop strategy house kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It, that's just like one part of it. It's, it's holistically just kind of insights for the projects. Yeah. And is it cross chain too, or is it just on yep. uh, the yeah, one chain, chain Ethereum? They are cross chain? No, they, yep. I do cross chain. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Steven, I know you had mentioned a couple other clients. Um, is there anything you want to talk about with Bello or any other clients you're working on that are cool use cases you want to share as we winding down? Uh, well, yeah. So, uh, Brock, I'll let you talk about Once Upon a little more than, than me because uh, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse a little more than I do. But it, it, they're a new blog explorer. And uh, and we we got them over the summer, and they've been great to work with, but it's been a lot of data. And, and one thing we haven't mentioned um, – it's important is we're able to, so web three has new concepts like backfilling. Um, and so, and just that takes a lot of time, right? Like it takes days. It doesn't just take hours. And, and so for a big, like web two company to come into the space and be like, what are you talking about? It's going to take me a week to, to backfill and get this data that we can't do that. Um, and so the way that we designed things, uh, it, it was that we, we did it horizontally. So we basically can take a big chain like Ethereum, break it up into smaller jobs, process it horizontally and reassemble it at the end. And, uh, and we can do that in hours instead of days. So, so that, that things like that, 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 you know, kind of aren't in the, in the co- co- mainstream conversation are, are really important. And, um, and actually Bello and once upon helped us really streamline that and speed it up. And, and Brock, I don't know the stat, but for once upon, you onboarded like in a, a crazy amount of chains and in, in a short amount of time, but I, I'll, I'll give it to you to talk about them a little bit. Yeah. Well, once done also awesome. They're, they're uh, focusing on trying to make the, the chain more contextualized, more human accessible. Um, and so they, they've built the first multi-chain viewer. So you can view eight, I think 18 different chains now all in one UI simultaneously. Nice. Um, yeah, so we built some very cool stuff. We do the, the data pipelines for them. Um, and yeah, we've been able to, working with them, do things like uh, they needed six new test nets onboarded. We got those done in an afternoon. Um, wow. Yeah, I think we, we, what was it, mode mainnet? I think we onboarded in three minutes. Just like get it done on. That's wild. Um, so yeah. what it, what about your network allows you to do that so quickly? Is that's that's you know those type of things even one test net can someone drag it out for a week or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know so what what's your kind of value add that allows you to do that quickly rocks and aliens that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> no our uh it's it's our data pipeline so it's fully distributed in-house already we have no centralized database and so we're not having to resell this data that we've already pre-indexed it's really coming straight from the source we've got it cached in a distributed layer um, which also means that we can process it in a distributed way. So we regularly will hit, say, 10,000 blocks per second during a backfill, um, and oh. it's not an issue. So really, our only throughput issue or limit is customers' databases. However fast they can accept data, that's how fast we can deliver it. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, you guys are really solving a clear uh, c- clear problem and kind of filling <laughs> the gap on uh, data usage, data indexing, specifically on-chain, but it sounds like you have a, a broader uh, kind of vision for helping all companies really kind of manage their data better, right? Um, and hopefully, like we were mentioning earlier, that on-chain data does become more prevalent and you'll be able to even have more access to that kind of useful public data and you have all the infrastructure there. You know, I got to say, you guys are really primed for this bull market that is <laughs> apparently a around the corner, you know, not financial advice, knock on wood, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Um, So awesome, awesome. I just want to hear, you know, kind of what's next for you guys. We'll be winding down the interview here, Um, but really interesting. Thank you again for joining the show and and sharing kind of the the use cases and the um, actual problems you're solving with the indexing company. So maybe I'll start with you, Stephen, anything around the corner that you want to share with us um, that you're looking forward to? In Web3 or, or in Web3 for the company? In Web3, at or? the company, in general. 
your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, so for, we, Brock and I have been in the space for a while and uh, I'm just excited to see that companies are actually building real products in the ecosystem. And I think this next, this next cycle, I think it has started. I think it's really going to pop off next year. And, uh, and, and I think that, yeah, prices will do what they do and go crazy and people will speculate. But I think, I think this will be a different than the, the other bull cycles. I think we'll, this will be a turning point for web three and, uh, and it'll start to, feel a little bit more mainstream. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm here for it. We're all here for it. So we've been waiting for right? (laughs) building through during the bear in hopes that the next bull is even more exciting than the last one. And what are your thoughts, uh, Brock, anything you're specifically looking forward to working on around the corner? Yeah. I mean, uh, echoing all of that, obviously. And then I guess at index and go, uh, one of the, one of the most exciting things we're working on now and kind of evolving is what we're calling just-in-time indexing. Um, so I mentioned we don't have a centralized database, which means we can't sell APIs, right? Uh, so trying to compete with the alchemies of the world has been tough, uh, but we actually now have this concept where we can index on demand. So somebody could send us an API request for what they want indexed, and we can return it back sub-second, like processed on demand, what they needed. Wow. Um so we're, we're working towards kind of this universal API layer, if you will. Uh, that's pretty sweet. So it's kind of your own custom data stack using the on-chain data you have, essentially? Exactly. Like totally distributed processing comes back up, serves it back over the API, um, all without needing a centralized database to, to facilitate it. Damn, that's uh, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm really yeah. glad I got to pick your guys' brain, and I look forward to seeing how uh, Index Company continues to evolve from here. Really, it's uh, it's been amazing, and hopefully our listeners are grabbing a lot of uh, good information from this, and uh, you might hear from some of them that are out there building. We do have a lot of builders in our audience, so might be reaching yeah. out. Um, yeah, any final words you want to add before we wind down here? I, I mean, yeah, I guess for the listeners, uh, yeah, seriously, reach out. We're on Twitter, Telegram, wherever, find our website. Uh, yeah. Website Always happy is to indexing, chat. indexing.co, right? Yes. Yes. Um, myself, always happy to help the ecosystem. So if you guys have data needs, happy to chat. Doesn't need to be a sales pitch. Yeah. Nice. Just want to see the space move forward. You're here. How about you, Steven? Anything you're looking forward to around the corner? And uh, do you guys do a lot of events, IRL events? Do you, do you attend a lot of those Web3 conferences and such? Brock just got back from uh, ETH Global in Turkey, actually. Okay, nice, nice. Yeah, but but we do. We uh, we're we're starting to. We we were kind of heads down this year, just uh, refining the product, getting it ready, and and now we're we're gonna kick off next year. We're ready to hit the ground running, and uh, we got a good good pipeline of customers. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gearing up for that and uh, and doing some travels. So like ETH Denver, and um, I'm not sure where DevCon's gonna be next year, but hopefully we'll do that. Nice. All, all the fun events. I'm hoping to get down to East Denver next year. We'll see how it is. Um, but that's very cool. And yeah, I think being at those IRL events and being able to connect with real people, nothing's better than that, right? Especially in this Web3 space, we're still a, a micro microcosm of society. So we got to support each other. <laughs> awesome. Totally. Well, thank you so much, Stephen and Brock. I appreciate you all for uh, joining and uh, sharing us with us about the indexing company and where Web3 data is going. And uh, until next time, we'll catch you all in the metaverse. Take care. Peace out. Thanks so much.